Hey everybody, this is episode 53 of Artist Soapbox. Hello and welcome to Artist Soapbox, a podcast featuring triangle area artists talking about their work, their plans, their manifestos. I am Tamara Kassane. Today I'm talking with Barbette Hunter. But before I jump into that conversation with Barbette, I want to let you know that at the end of this episode, I'm featuring another anonymous question from a listener for Ask the Soapbox. Molly has a question about loved ones not supporting her artistic career, so stick around to hear my two cents about that. If you'd like to submit a question to be answered on the podcast, click on the link in the show notes or go to our website and click on Submit Your Cues on the menu bar, artistsoapbox.org. Barbette Hunter has been performing since age five. She's worked as a professional actress with numerous theater companies in the Triangle. She's acted in films, industrial and training videos, commercials, and voiceovers. She is a teaching artist for Raleigh Little Theater and Carrie Applause Youth Theater, the rehearsal assistant and stage manager for Carrie Applause Youth Theater, and the stage manager of the Family Village Stage for the African American Cultural Festival. Barbette is an artwork model for private studios and several local arts organizations and educational institutions. As you can see, Barbette Hunter does a lot. In this episode, we zero in on one of her great passions, working with children in the theater. Barbette gives us some great pro tips for working with kids, helping them focus, how to build an ensemble, and she talks about her plans to direct the full-length children's show, Amazing Grace. Working with kids can be so much fun. For information about auditions and performances for Amazing Grace, please see the show notes. I'll also include a longer bio for Barbette there. Here we go. Hi, Barbette. Thank you so much for being here. Hi. Thank you for having me. So, Barbette, you have a wide range of experience on stage and screen as actor, stage manager, director, you do voiceovers, modeling. So you have many avenues open to you to produce artistic work. But during our pre-interview phone conversation, you really emphasized your passion for working with kids, whether as director, stage manager, or teacher, saying that this passion was the reason you get up and do what you do. When did you discover that you like to work with kids? I discovered uh, that I like working with kids back in the early 1990s. I was back home in Laurenburg, North Carolina. After grad school, went downhill quick. And I uh, ended up doing uh, some substitute teaching uh, at a couple of elementary and middle grade schools. And I loved teaching. I I had no idea. Um, that I would enjoy it so much. Um, I went through the, they had a course there for substitute teachers. And I went through all of that to get certified to become an official substitute teacher. And I discovered that my favorite grade was fifth grade, hmm. you know, where they're starting to kind of sort of feel the world out, feel themselves out, explore, but they're still kind of like little babies. And they have just enough, a little sass in them, <laughs> you know, to make it kind of the day interesting. But yeah, it was back in the early 1990s when I discovered I love teaching. 
And I became um, like one of the favorite substitute teachers for this one particular school, Washington Park School. Mm-hmm. Shout out to you. <laughs> and so the principal would always call me directly, Miss Barbette, we need a substitute. And I'm like, yes, sign me up. Um, so that's when I started to really discover that I enjoyed teaching so much. And what is it, you mentioned a little bit, but what is it that you enjoy so much about kids? I enjoy their joy of life, their honesty, um, their spunk, their, what's the word I'm looking for? Willing to take risk and try something new and different. Um, And I always encourage my students now to try something new and different. You may succeed, you may fail, but you will never know how much fun you have or will have until you try it, whether you succeed or fail. Either way, you're going to have fun and you're going to learn something along the way. Um, so that's one of the things that I love about kids. They're willing to take risk and try something. And if it fails, okay, let's try it a different way. And they're willing to do that and explore and express themselves without fear of being um, judged you know, like a lot of adults, like, oh, I don't want to say that they're going to think I am, or they're going to think that I feel. And kids just say it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, thank you for sharing that with me. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> it is interesting, the benefits of not having a filter. There there are actual yes. benefits to that sometimes. <laughs> yes. And I love that with kids. They say it exactly how it is. And I'm like, thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. Thanks for sharing that. And that makes them feel validated it makes them feel like they're being heard. Uh, one of my philosophies, well, my only philosophy when I'm teaching, I tell my kids, everybody has a story to tell. You can take the word story, substitute it with opinion, thought, idea. So everybody has a story to tell. They need to tell their story. And we, whether it's teacher or parent or audience, we need to listen to that child's story. And so they get it. They're like, okay. And I have to remind them when we're playing certain games where one person is talking and then the other kids want to interrupt. And I was like, remember, Mm. everybody has a story to tell. They need to tell that story. And it's our job as audience to just listen. Mm -hmm. What do you think, in addition to a good story, what do you think that an audience filled with children is looking for from a theatrical experience? They are looking for, well, movement. Uh (laughs) Colorful excitement, noises, uh, sounds. Um, they're looking for entertainment, but they're also looking for a lesson. What did I learn, or what's my takeaway from this? Mm-hmm. You know, not all adults can go to theater and, like, what did I learn? What's my takeaway? This is all for enjoyment. Some adults take that perspective and that's fine too. But with kids, they're like, oh, this is what I learned. And I can apply this in my life. I can apply this in the classroom. Or when I go home, I can tell mom and dad, this is what I learned today. I saw a play and it was all about, and I learned how to be a better citizen of the world. Or I learned how to have manners. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the takeaway for kids when they go to see a play what did I learn? How can I apply that in my world? And did I have fun? Did I enjoy it? Did it keep me engaged? Was there lots of bright noises and movement, you know, Mm -hmm. colorful noises, colorful movement? And what do you think for the kids who are actually on the stage? What are you hoping that they'll get out of that experience? The kids that are on stage, number one, I want them to have fun. 
that I also want them to hone their acting skills, you know, whether they're rehearsing, whether they are performing. I also want them to understand what it's like to collaborate as an ensemble. And I have to define what's an ensemble. That's like one of the first things that I do, whether it's a camp, a workshop, or a class Define We are an ensemble and this is what an ensemble is. But I want them to understand what it's like to work as an ensemble. What do you need to do as an individual to work as an ensemble, to make that ensemble successful and to achieve that ensemble goal, whether it's to rehearse a musical, to rehearse just a small scene, or just to present a huge, you know, full length play or a musical. And do you see them really embrace that idea of team as opposed to the single star in the in the group? There are moments where I see that it is a challenge for some students, but I just continue to remind them that we are an ensemble, that we're working together as a team. Um, and think more about we, what we can accomplish together, and less focus on me and I. Mm-hmm. You know, come back together and work together as a group. Whenever I encounter a student or students like that, I'm like, okay, I need to re, uh, redirect, or should I say, change up my lesson plan and include more um, small group mm-hmm. process activities to help that person or people figure out, okay. These are the skills that I need to hone on, to work on in order to be part of this ensemble. And I remind them the social skills you need, listening, (laughs) cooperation, collaboration, all all of those social skills. I have to remind them, okay, are we listening to what this person said? And if you were listening, how are you going to incorporate their idea into this particular activity that you're working on? Mm. So I just have to do the small group activities and then eventually make it become a bigger group process, but I need to start small so that they can feel comfortable mm-hmm. working with others and feeling their way to creating, becoming part of the ensemble and helping to create that ensemble ethic, so to speak. I yeah. love the, I love the layered effect that you're kind of talking about. It's you're helping them strengthen those skills mm-hmm. by, by adding the layers of working and working them up to it and sort of the scaffolding kind of approach. Yeah. And we need some pro tips from you here <laughs> because I have tried to teach large groups of children before and it is, it's a different kind of thing. So yeah. how do you get groups of children to focus and listen? I will admit it is a challenge. I have several tips that I, I um, like to fall back on. Call and response. I teach them a call and response, um, whether it's Ago, Ame, or Crick, Crack. Um, there may be an auditory where I will snap my fingers and then they have to repeat that pattern, snapping their fingers, or I may clap my hands in the rhythmic pattern and they have to repeat that. There've been moments <laughs> where, um, I used to do musical theater a long time ago where I will sing, I will just start breaking out in song and they will be like, what? Crickets. <laughs> Focused. Right. Listening, looking really interesting, right? (laughs) Yeah, they're like, Who is that singing opera? Who's singing an aria? What? What is this melodious sound? So, um, those are just some of the little tricks that I will do. Um, I will also, as I'm explaining an exercise or a game to keep them engaged and follow along in the instructions, I will be very animated. 
um, making silly expressions or changing my voice, putting on an accent or then sliding into another um, accent just to keep it interesting for them. (laughs) Those are just some of the pro tips that I use. Thank you. (laughs) This sounds like quite a bit of energy output. And I know that last summer in 2017, you taught 12 camps. And this summer, you said you, quote, cut back to only teaching eight. How in the world do you maintain the energy for that? Well, I always carve out downtime in my schedule for myself so that I can regroup, regenerate, breathe before the next camp, the next class starts. I also have a life outside of theater, believe it or not. Shocking. (laughs) (laughs) So... Outside of the theater, I may go listen to some music, whether it's techno or house or deep house or tribal, or just hang out with my techno friends. Um, Might go check out some roller derby, but do something different other than just being in the theater, teaching class, or just going to the theater, watching a play. Mm -hmm. I like to spice it up a little bit. Yeah. 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 So I want to talk about the play that you are directing You're directing a full-length children's show called Amazing Grace. It's being produced by Applause Cary Youth Theater, the town of Cary, in partnership with the Gifted Arts in Garner. Auditions are coming up in November, and then the show will be performed February 22nd through 23rd, 2019, to coincide with the 23rd annual African American celebration in Cary. This is Amazing Grace, based on a book by Mary Hoffman. Grace loves stories, and with a boundless imagination, she acts them all out. One day, her teacher asks, who would like to play the lead in the play Peter Pan? Grace eagerly raises her hand, but Raj tells her she isn't a boy, and Natalie tells her she can't because she is black. Nana sets Grace straight. She can do anything she sets her mind to. You've been wanting to direct this show for years. What about it appeals to you? I love the message and you you hit that message right on the head. The message of, you know, uh, Nana helping Grace realize that she can become whoever, whatever she wants to be and don't let others define who she is or who she could become. That's the message that I love so much and how that message is told in this wonderful book. Mm -hmm. Originally it was a book, um, but in this play, how that message is conveyed to Grace and, Grace is one of these people that whenever she is confronted with an obstacle, that's not going to stop her. She just keeps right on plowing through or plowing over Mm. and achieving whatever it is she wants to do. And in this particular case, when Grace decides she wants to be Peter Pan, it's her Nana that helps her realize, yeah, you can do that. Mm. You certainly can do that. So that's what I love about this play. I was introduced to this play Many, many, many years ago. I can't remember how long ago, but I remember when I was on a um, play reading committee at Raleigh Little Theater, and this was one of the plays that I had to read. And I was talking to the office manager at the time, and she was telling me that the playwright was her cousin. (laughs) And I was like, really? She's like, yeah, that's my cousin. I was like, oh, this is even more intriguing. And I was like, okay. And that just kind of like planted the seed, knowing that we had this North Carolina connection and this wonderful story about children, how they can achieve and become anything that they want to. Mm-hmm. And don't let anyone try to um, oppress them 
and prevent them from achieving um, their goals. And so ever since then, it's just like, it's been like in the back of my brain. This is a play I want to direct, but the challenge is trying to cast it because there's so many different cultures and ethnicities that need to be reflected in this play to truly do it justice. So mm-hmm. I've always found that to be a challenge. How large is the cast? The cast is 12. And then it has an ensemble group of neighborhood children. 12 are children or there are some adults in there too? There are three adults in there. Um, there's one adult, not one of the three, but an additional adult voice that this is a person you never see, the teacher. So that voice could be pre-recorded or there could be an actor off stage for that voice. So essentially, um, we've got three adults and then the rest of them is all children. Wow. That is a large cast. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty large. You said that the cast requires a diverse group of actors, including African-American, Asian-American, and Native American roles. Do you have a sense in this case of whether casting will be a challenge? Do you have a sense of how to encourage the broader public to audition? Yes, casting will be a challenge. Um, We're going to have auditions both in Garner and in Cary. In Garner, um, there is a uh, group that we're partnering partnering with, the Gifted Arts. The constituents in that group is predominantly African-American. Thumbs up for that one. And um, and then we're going to have auditions in Cary, where the population is a little different uh, demographically. So I'm hoping that between Garner and Cary, we'll be able to cast culturally and ethnically the way that this play should be done, mm-hmm. the way it should be produced. Fingers crossed on that one. In terms of trying to get the word out into the community, the Gifted Arts is going to be helping with getting the word out. They've already sent out word um, this week to their artists to let them know this is what's coming down the pipeline. And of course, the town of Cary will be doing the same, getting the word out in press releases, social media, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Do you know how the partnership developed between Cary and, and Garner? It developed a little bit over a year ago. Rachel Baranski. Um, Rachel is the um, performing arts education specialist for the town of Cary. Um, she met Nicole Morgan, um, who's the co-founder and CEO of the Gifted Arts. And they met at an event that they were both attending and they got to talking. And um, when Rachel came back from that event, she said, do you know someone named Nicole Morgan? And I was like, yes, I met her earlier when I was doing some administrative work for the African-American Cultural Festival. And she said, Rachel said, well, Nicole said, hi. And I was like, okay, cool. And uh, Rachel went on to talk more about how much she enjoyed talking to Nicole. And I told Rachel more about what it is that um, Nicole's organization does. And Rachel was like, hmm, this sounds good. And I said, Rachel, this is a great opportunity to create a partnership, perhaps to produce a play. And then I shared with her my idea, my dream idea of wanting to direct Amazing Grace. So Rachel said, okay, I'll set up a meeting. We'll start negotiations, start conversations to see where we can go with it. Oh, that's wonderful. So for people who aren't familiar, what does the Gifted Arts do? The Gifted Arts provides an opportunity for young people, um, cultural programming, 
educational programming, um, whether it's programming working on step team dancing, or it could be a pageant or a fashion show, uh, but it's about building confidence public speaking. My brain is kind of like, what is it that they don't do? Right. Um, Because they do so much for the young people that they work with. And I'm just astounded that they can do all of that um, programming. And as a matter of fact, they just expanded their programming um, a few weeks ago where they're partnering with another group. And they now have programming on Tuesdays and Thursdays and now Saturdays. So I am amazed Hmm. at all that they can do with the young people. That's wonderful. And I hope that that partnership is really successful, maybe leading to more in the in the future. I am hopeful. We talked about the casting a little bit, but do mm-hmm. you see any additional challenges associated with directing this play? I really, I, I'm eager to um, work with the staff at the Gifted Arts. I really don't see any challenges. I'm I'm more interested in when we start working together as a team, you know, Applause Youth Theater and the Gifted Arts, we've got to carve out our roles, our responsibilities. So that may be a challenge, uh, figuring out who does what when, because this is a new entity. Um, but I think that will be easy peasy because based on the conversations we've had so far, you know, negotiating things such as rehearsal space and rehearsal dates, those things have gone very smoothly. But I think that will be the only challenge, so to speak, just defining those roles, who's going to be doing what, who's going to be doing it when, because I know um, with their staff, there may be rotation in terms of the rehearsal stage manager, or should I say the production stage manager and the rehearsal assistant. I think they're going to have several people rotating in those roles to give them um, greater experience in those capacities. But yeah, I don't foresee any other challenges right now. Oh, that feels good. Yeah, it does. (laughs) So when you think about directing this particular play, how do you go about preparing for it? And do you think you prepare differently for a children's show versus an adult show? Yeah. um, For children's shows, I approach it totally different from an adult show. As with the children's show, I, I go in thinking anything goes. The kid that comes in that can do this and this and this, great. And they've got the chemistry. They can project. They can move. Great. And then, you know, then there may be a kid that's like, I'm not really sure. I'm really shy. Great. You're in because you have that spark, that je ne sais quoi, that mm-hmm. makes you click in that group. So what I'm really looking for is a group of kids that work well together. You know, you may not be the loudest, you may not exude all of this sparkle and shine, but you work well as a team Mm -hmm. and there's a place for you in this group if you can work together as a team. So that's what I'm looking for with kids, kids that work well together. That that makes a lot of sense. (laughs) Absolutely. And then when you think about blocking and sort of the group numbers and Mm. all of that, are you very detailed or do you kind of go on the fly? What's your process? My process is I don't like to go on the fly with kids. No, no, no. That's a disaster. (laughs) (laughs) They can't be patient enough for you to figure out what you're doing. No, 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 no. But there have been moments with I go in with all my, my blocking written down. Um, just some rough blocking. And then I always tell the kids, if you've got an idea or if this blocking doesn't work, you got a better idea. I'm open to it. Just 
verbalize it and tell me, mm-hmm. we'll try it. But I do go in with some blocking notes. Sometimes they're very, very specific based on, you know, you know, what it is I have in my head that I want to accomplish in that particular beat, in that particular scene. And then there may be some moments where I'm like, I have no idea what to do with this scene. And um, I'll go in and I'll have the kids just to read it. And I listen to them as they're reading it. And hopefully that will inspire me. Mm-hmm as to what it is we need to do in the scene blocking wise. And then again, let's, like I said before, I'll ask the kids, how should we handle this? Mm-hmm. You know, how should we block the scene? Oh, what a, speaks to you? That's a wonderful way to empower them. Yeah. Just to, even, even if you don't end up taking their suggestions, the idea that you, that you might, and that they mm-hmm. have valid ideas mm-hmm. is really empowering to kids. And yeah. you know, I've definitely I have a 10-year-old daughter and she's got great ideas. She comes up with things all the time that I never would have thought of. So, yeah. it's wonderful and you have if you have a group of them, I know. they have amazing imaginations. Yeah, so, I love it. I love it. Yeah. I remember um there's been a couple of times in the past and in some camps where I'm getting this like Thursday or Friday. And, you know, at that point, I'm like really crispy. I'm like, (laughs) and I will tell the kids, okay, teacher has no ideas today. What are your ideas for this scene? What should we do next? Hmm. These are your options. This, this, and this or your options. Let's sit down and discuss, or you want to write it out and then give it to me. Cause some kids don't want to you know, verbalize their thoughts and ideas sometimes in front of others. And I'm like, okay, just write it down, slip it to me on a piece of paper. And we'll take it that way and see what happens next. So I have done that in the past. Just give me your ideas. Okay, great. This is what we're going to do. Thank you very much. Well, it seems like part of, and you mentioned this in the very beginning, part of your philosophy is that everyone has a story to tell Mm -hmm. and also the importance of ensemble. And so you're inviting them Mm -hmm. to do that, to tell their own stories, to give their own input and the idea that everyone has something to contribute in the group. So it's a wonderful way to reinforce that message. When you think about, you know, late February after this show has gone up and been an amazing experience for everybody, what do you think will make it a success for you? For me, the success will come from hearing the parents say, I saw my child grow. I saw my child blossom. I saw my kid enjoy reading more. I saw my kid want to write more. That's the things that lets me know, oh, this was a success. Mm-hmm. The kid has been inspire- inspired to take more classes, uh, whether it's an acting class or a costume class or makeup, whatever. But they want to take more classes and learn more about theater and more about the process. So they get the bug. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That lets me know they've been successful. And then, of course, when the kids say, Miss Barbette, I had a great time. I really enjoyed this. But yeah, hearing that from the parents is like, we did something good here. Yeah. And parents love that. I mean, mm-hmm. they love for their children to to see their children grow in front of them. That mm-hmm. is just such a gift. And people, you know, people like you as theater professionals who are working with children, it's such a gift yeah. to have that adult influence in the kids' lives. It's so important. At the beginning of this interview, I listed out all of the things that you do in theater and and beyond. Yeah. How do you define yourself as an artist? Oh, that's a tough question. Wow, I've never really thought about that before because I just I just do what I do. 
I don't really try to define what it is I do. People ask me, you know, sometimes when I meet someone new, they're like, what is it that you do? And I try to describe it, but I, I, I'm challenged to try to describe it. I, I just like, well, I do this, this, and this, and then this, and then by then they're like really confused. <laughs> so I don't know. I remember a couple of years ago, someone would say, I, I'm trying to remember who the person was, but they said to me, you're kind of like a Renaissance woman. And I was like, no, I, I just do what I do. You know, I said, I, I try, I don't, I'm not doing everything. I know my limitations, you know, I know my, my strengths and I know my weaknesses, but I just do what I do. I love what I do. And fortunately for me, you know, I get paid to do what I love to do. And how would you describe what you love to do? I love to do theater, whether it's teaching theater or directing or stage managing or teaching makeup for the stage or teaching costuming. I just love every aspect of that. Yeah. So theater is the umbrella and yeah. then you, you run around underneath that. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Nice. Yeah. Thank you so much oh. for being here. I really appreciate the conversation and I can't wait to see this play in February. Thank you. Definitely come and check it out. And now it's time for a question from a listener on Ask the Soapbox. Dear Soapy, what if my spouse and family are not supportive of my artistic career and prefer I get a, quote, real job? Signed, Molly. Woo, this is a tough one, Molly. <laughs> this is one of the most monstrous, deepest cans of worms for artists ever, right? First of all, please know that you are not alone. This is a question that most, even all artists, ask themselves many times over the course of their lives. I'm so sorry if you are feeling unsupported by the people you care about. Making art is tough, even with lots of support, and it's damn near impossible to sustain without it. Molly, I'm rooting for you. Obviously, one suggestion is to find a community of people who are supportive, and very importantly, a community that is generous in sharing resources and ideas for making your artistic career flourish if you are struggling. Seek out those people and lift each other up. Build a safe space for yourself as an artist. Now, your question didn't come with a lot of backstory, so I'm flying blind a little here, but I wanted to address a few more items that popped out for me. If you are getting pushback from your spouse and you have insurance or the financial means to afford this, then go to couples counseling ASAP. I'm totally serious. Do it. Find a couples therapist that you like and make an investment in your relationship and in your own state of mind. I speak from experience here, okay? It's very challenging to make art when you are carrying anxiety and guilt. In my case, I felt and sometimes still feel that I am letting my family down by not bringing in more money, that I need to work extra hard at my creative work in order to make it seem valid, that my art is not even good enough to justify calling it a career, that my spouse resents that I can just do my little hobby while he is out working a real office job, and on and on. It's a mess. And in my case, my spouse wasn't even contributing to it. A lot of this was in my own mind, stuff he didn't even know that I was thinking. 
He was pretty cool with things, but I had the jacked up mindset and we needed to talk about it. If you want to hear more about that and my struggles, listen to episode 29, part one of what I learned from 40 years of not being famous. It's about defining and redefining our own success. And I'll put a link in the show notes for that. Anyway, it helps, it really helps to have a professional guide the two of you through unpacking any friction, like teasing out the meaning of, quote, real job. Oh, real job, what a trigger for me. Questioning how each of you value time, money, and emotional well-being and where that comes from. So get ready to do some digging into cultural and familial messaging. If your spouse is also supporting you financially, then each person's emotions and expectations around that choice need to be examined openly and carefully. If your spouse isn't into counseling, then go yourself. As you can tell, I'm really pro-therapy. As artists, we need to invest in our emotional fitness in order to thrive creatively. My guess is that your question comes from a place of pain and internal struggle, and since no one can make you feel a certain way, it's likely that you're making yourself feel that way due to your own beliefs about the value of your work and yourself as an artist and what it means to have a real job. For me, much of this is about money. Money equals real job, which is ridiculous. Speaking of money, there's also no shame in cutting back on your artistic endeavors so that you can make some. We need money to live and build our lives. Not having money causes big stress and all kinds of potentially long-lasting problems. Doing your artistic work part-time so that you can make some bucks to support your family, that does not make you any less of an artist. You will not lose your artist card if you take a job at Target to pay for the holidays. I do not want you to be a starving artist. If money is really an issue, and that's why your friends and family want you to get a, quote, real job, then it's time for some careful dialogue with them and with yourself about that. It may be really, really hard to scale back on your art, but it might be a temporary choice you need to make based on your other responsibilities. Finally, and most importantly, do not quit making your art. Do not quit. Even if you need to scale back, even if your spouse and your family and the world don't understand what you're doing, do not stop making. When you do it and how you do it, those things may need to flex depending on the other obligations in your life. But do not take the all or nothing approach and quit entirely or take other people's opinions as the reason to stop your creative work. I know you've heard this before, but we all have unique voices, so if you feel called to make art, then you are making art that no one else can make quite like you do it. Do not deprive the world of your work, and do not deprive yourself of creative joy. For artists, art is what nourishes us, so do not deprive yourself of the nourishment that you need, especially during times that are tough. Find a way to make your creative practice sustainable and ongoing, even if that means altering it slightly. Don't stop. I hope that's helpful, Molly. Find your community, check out couples counseling, calmly consider your own financial situation and your mindsets, and keep creating. Good luck. I'm rooting for you. Artist Soapbox is a listener-supported podcast. Please support the podcast via our Patreon page, patreon.com slash artist soapbox. For more information, go to our website, artistsoapbox.org, 
We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter as well. All of this information is in the show notes. Artist Soapbox music is composed by Bart Matthews. Thanks so much, and we're out. We'll be right back.